Well, I was thinking this week about my time in Florida over the years and how this, uh, this state, the state of Florida, very different than the state of Maryland that I grew up in. Um, for example, you really do have more sunshine here. And uh, you have alligators. We don't have, really have those uh, in Maryland. They're lost if they're there. You have a lot more lizards and more freedom. And you have a lot of people who uh, fish and hunt. And a lot more people here who go boating. Uh, not, of, not as many of us in Maryland go out on boats as often as all of you seem to do. And I was doing some research this week, and I found out that in the, the U- U.S., the entire U.S., there are about 5,000 boating accidents every year. Of course, not by anyone in this room. But these boating accidents happen for lots of reasons, like uh, user error, or somebody's traveling at high speeds, or alcohol is involved, bad weather, and sometimes it's something like bad machinery, right? Okay, something doesn't work the way that it should. I want to share a really strange example of that that I ran across. This was just a couple years ago, 2020, around that time, there was a a 736 Huron that crashed into a pier in the state of Michigan. And when it crashed, it was going about a speed of seven knots. For those of us who drive cars and not boats, that'd be about eight miles per hour. And so they launched an investigation to figure out what exactly happened. How did this big ship just ram, ran right into this, this pier? Um, so the first question, you know, is was alcohol involved? Well, they ruled that out pretty quickly. The, the captain and the crew were tested for drugs and alcohol. That wasn't it. They all passed. Okay, maybe it was user error. That wasn't it either. In fact, the the captain crew did everything they could. Once they realized they were coming in too fast, they tried to slow the ship down, but they couldn't. They they cut the engine. They dropped the anchors, but it didn't matter. They still crashed. So they moved on to machinery. Now, I don't know how long it must have taken them to make this discovery, but eventually they found the culprit. The reason that they couldn't control the ship's speed was all because of one small screw that had gone bad. Uh, The screw held a pin in place, and it was a necessary part of controlling the propeller system of the ship. So the failure of that one screw caused this 36,000-ton ship to run right into a pier, caused over $2 million in damage. One screw made that big of a difference. Now look, even though I'm from Maryland, and I don't go boating very often, I think it's clear, not just to me, but to all of us, that you know, a boat is only good and reliable if all of its parts are working and functioning properly. And the truth is we could say the same thing about lots of things in our lives, cars, computers, clocks, all sorts of things we use every day. It just takes one broken or missing part, and the whole thing struggles. We see the same thing is true when it comes to the church. The local church, like ours, is made up of Christians who come together to worship Jesus, learn more about him, uh, to learn from his word, to grow in our faith, and to impact the community with the gospel. But many Christians seem unaware of the fact that they are an important part of their church functioning well. In fact, one of the reasons why many churches struggle and even fall apart is because its members fail to fulfill their functions, their roles within the church. On the other hand, churches that do thrive and function well, those are the ones where every believer is using his and her God-given talents and gifts and fulfilling their role 
in the local congregation. We're going to see some of these things together as we turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Romans 12. We're going to look together. We're going to see some truths about the functioning church member. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. If you don't have one with you, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 920. Page 920. Romans chapter 12. And believers, my encouragement to you is let's all approach this passage in Scripture with open eyes and honest hearts so that we can ask ourselves by the end today, am I a... Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So let's stop right here for a few minutes. Now last week, if you were with us last week, we saw how as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to give our, our physical bodies and our minds and our wills over to God for his purposes and for his glory. And here's the thing, as we commit ourselves to God, naturally we're going to start to care for God's people. That'd be for one another. All right? And to do that, we need to make sure that we don't think too highly of ourselves, Paul says. We need to be humble. You see, Paul's going to talk about how we serve one another church, and there are two wrong mindsets that we very often bring when it comes to serving in the local church. Uh, the first mindset is to think of ourselves way too highly. Way too highly we think of what we bring to the table. It's the mindset that says, where would this church be without me? Without my incredible gifts, my great giving, and my inspiring talents. Boy, they're lucky to have me. Now hopefully none of us says or thinks things like these. But, believers, let's all beware of such pride ever building in our hearts. But I also want to mention another mindset, because there's another mindset that a lot of believers walk around with, and they come to church with, and it's the mindset that says, well, I don't bring anything to the table. I'm no good. It doesn't matter whether or not I'm here. No one, no one needs me. I want you to understand that that spirit of belittlement might sound humble, but it's not. Or whether you're looking down on yourself or looking highly at yourself, if you are looking at yourself, you are living in pride. Believers, we need to be looking to Christ. We need to recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. We need to set our focus and our eyes on him, and then, then we'll begin to think of ourselves properly, as Paul says, with sober judgment. And in that humility, understand this truth first, believer, Christians, you are a part of the body of Christ. You need to understand that. Now, this, this phrase, the body of Christ, is a metaphor, you see it throughout the New Testament, and it's used to describe the church. All of us were followers of Jesus Christ. We've given our lives to him. He's our Savior. We're a part of the body of Christ. Now, to understand the purpose of the metaphor, think about, uh, think about a physical body. Your body has a lot of parts, right? Arms, legs, eyes, ears, mouth, nose. You get it. And all the parts of your body are important. We just don't always think about how important they are. 
Most of us think about how important they are, though, when one of the parts stops doing what it's supposed to do. So many of you know that recently my wife fractured, she keeps correcting me, she fractured her foot recently. Uh, so she's been on crutches for quite a while, praise the Lord, not anymore, but for the first week she was on crutches, and for the first time, actually, in their little lives, both of my sons were faster than her. Praise the Lord, they didn't realize that, though. Uh, but her foot being out didn't just mean that it was hard for her to get around. Uh, there were a lot of things she couldn't do the way that she used to. Uh, if she was standing up and she was on crutches and our one-year-old ran over to her for her to hold him, she couldn't do that. It was hard for her to put him in his crib. It was hard for her to, to get the boys in the car, do all sorts of things. All because one part of her body is out of commission. Now, you better believe that me and the boys are very glad that she has graduated to a walking boot now and she can get around much easier. We get so used to our ability to do things that we don't always realize how valuable the parts of our body are until they cease to function properly. In the same way that our physical bodies have, have lots of parts with different jobs, the local church is made up of many believers with different roles in the church. I think a lot of us know that truth. Right? We know that not everybody preaches, not everybody teaches, not everyone greets, not everyone serves meals, not everyone sings or visits the sick or works in the food pantry. There are many different roles in the church. We realize that. I think sometimes we fail to realize, though, that difference in role does not mean difference in, in worth. Very important for us to understand that every role in the church matters. Every area of service is important for the health of the whole body. And in a moment, we're going to see some of those unique things that we bring to the table as followers of Jesus Christ to fulfill our roles, to serve one another, to, to build up the body of Christ. We're going to see that in just a minute. But unfortunately, one of the things that, that prevents this from us living this way, one of the things that prevents this is that in this day and age, many people treat the church as an, an event or an experience that can be substituted with a screen rather than seeing it as a spiritual body that grows and functions best when we're all pursuing our God-given purposes among each other. Somewhere along the line, Christians, Christians bought into this lie that we don't have to be together. But what did we read a minute ago? It said, though many, we form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Sure sounds like we should be together. I think I've shared this story before with you all. I shared it recently with, uh, with our small group, and I think I've shared it probably a little while ago, though. But it kept coming to my mind this week, so I said, I'm going to share it again anyways. Not too long ago, one of the church's deacons took the staff out to lunch. And when we were at lunch, the waiter asked us, how do you know each other? Well, our deacon said, we go to the same church. Well, the waiter was so happy, he told us, he said, I'm a Christian too. So we asked where he goes to church. And he said, well, I don't go to church. He said, I am the church. Well, no, that's not true. If he's a Christian, he's a part of the church. And the truth is, he's not a functioning part of the church. God has a role for you, believer. He does. And you need to be with the church first. And then as you are with them, you need to step into your role. 
understand that if you're part of the family of Christ, you're a part of the body of Christ. And try and grasp the greatness of that truth, believers. Because if you've ever felt alone, you need to understand that in the body of Christ, you, you belong. And if you've ever felt unwanted, you need to understand that in the body of Christ, you matter. And if you've ever felt unneeded, you need to understand that in the body of Christ, you have been gifted by God to do something for his kingdom. Let me show you what I mean. Look what Paul says in verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Believer, you are a part of the body of Christ. So the second thing you need to understand this morning is that that means you have a purpose to fulfill in it. Just like your, your arms, your legs, your feet, they all have a job. They all have a purpose. You have a purpose in the body of Christ. You see, you bring something special to the church, Christian. More than, more than your skills or your natural talents, like your ability to run fast or, or jump high or your handyman skills or your ability to sing. All those things can be used for God's glory. But what we're being told here is that we also, as Christians, we've been given gifts by God's grace. Now, these are what we often refer to as spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? What's that mean? That means that God has supernaturally gifted you to serve him and to serve the church. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit gifts every Christian, every believer, and that those gifts are for the common good. That means the gifts are for each other. So your gift is not about you. It's about serving others. And believer, that takes place first and foremost in the church. Paul lists just a few of the spiritual gifts here. This is not a comprehensive list that we are seeing in Romans 12. Others can be found elsewhere in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can read that at home. And the first one he mentions here is uh, prophecy. As a side note, I've really felt the Lord laying on my heart. I need to say something. Um, church, be very wary of people today who claim the title and the office of prophet. Uh, there are many people who claim that today who do not know what they are talking about. I would encourage you, whether it's someone claiming that title and office or any other in the church, if someone claims to be bringing you a word from the Lord, you measure what they say against God's word and against Scripture. Always remember that. Okay, it's going to save us from a lot of bad teaching as believers. All right, so Paul mentions the gift of prophecy. You see, the prophets, the prophets were the ones who received direct, special revelation from God to give to his people. Now, sometimes it had something to do with what was going to take place in the future, but many times it was about God's present direction for his, his people. Now, this was especially critical in the early church before the believers had what we do today, which is the complete New Testament. In the New Testament, in Scripture here, we find God's revelation to us about things still to come, 
and the things that he wants us doing right now, like using our spiritual gifts. So then he talks about the gift of serving. Some of your translations might say helps, ministry, or something like that. The gift of serving. Now, look, Christians, we should all want to serve and help one another all right, in any way that we can. But, but the believers who are gifted with serving, who God is supernaturally gifted in this way, they're the ones who are quick and joyful about helping in any practical way that they can. It's their heart's desire. I believe that this is one of the most prominent spiritual gifts in churches, and there's a reason for it. These believers are the backbone of the church. You can't function without them. Countless of you came to my mind as I sat down and thought about this gift this week. This church has been blessed by those who are using the gift of serving. In fact, I shared that the other night with a believer from our church who has this gift and was out here using that gift when he was here at 1045 at night doing whatever he could to help set up for the concert that we had this weekend. This is an important gift. But you want to know something? Because this gift many times, it's, it's in the background, doesn't always get the recognition that it deserves. I just want you to know I believe that the Christians who faithfully and joyfully use their spiritual gifts, even behind the scenes to bring God honor, they will have grand places in glory one day. So for those of you using this gift, thank you for doing that. Then there are those, Paul talks about, gifted at teaching God's word, drawing out its meaning, communicating it to others so they can apply it to their lives. This gift is used in a lot of ways in churches. People use it in classes, like Sunday school classes. It's used in pulpits and small groups. And this gift has applications, of course, first and foremost in the church, and outside the church as well. Many believers faithfully use this gift in their home. The greatest biblical teachers in my life were not the ones in seminary classrooms or in pulpits, even though I owe a lot to all of them. The greatest teachers of Scripture who have the spiritual gift of teaching and are faithful to use it are my parents. They're the greatest impact in my life with that gift. Their faithfulness to use their gift impacted their kids for eternity. And they were also faithful to show us not just to use these gifts in the home, but to use them biblically and in a biblical pattern in the church. Then Paul says there are those gifted with encouragement. Some translations say exhortation. Some of you know, maybe somebody's already come to your mind who has this gift. They're just clearly an encourager. It just flows out of them. If you can't think of someone, let me give you an example. Uh, some of you have heard of Barnabas, the Christian in the early church. Read about him in the book of, book of Acts. His actual name, by the way, was Joseph. But we're told in Acts chapter 4 that the apostles called him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. Oh, this is one of the things Barnabas was, he was just gifted at this. This was clearly one of his spiritual gifts. As an example, when Paul, the church persecutor turned Christian, uh, when Paul was new in his faith, nobody wanted anything to do with Paul. So who came along? Barnabas did. Put his arm around Paul. Brought him to the other believers. Assured the other Christians that, no, Paul's faith is genuine. I can't imagine the encouragement that Barnabas must have been to Paul early in his faith. They became close ministry partners together. I try and tell believers all the time, you find yourself a Barnabas. You be a Barnabas to others, be an encourager, but find a Barnabas in your life. I can't tell you how glad I am for those gifted in encouragement here at this church who actively encourage me, my family, the whole church family. In fact, just this week, there's a church member 
knew that I had some things going on one evening this week, and I got a call the next morning. This person just wanted to check on me, wanted to encourage me before the day got going. In fact, that individual is one of the Barnabases in my life. Then there are those who are gifted with giving to the Lord. We're all commanded to give. But there are those with hearts bursting forth with generosity for the work of the Lord, for the work of his kingdom. This doesn't mean that they need to be rich to have this gift, but they need to be rich towards the Lord. And they give as abundantly as they can, joyfully, without any thought of reward. I want you to know that our church has weathered many a tough time, like in 2020, because of believers such as these. They don't just have the gift of giving, but they exercise the gift of giving. Then there are those gifted to lead God's people humbly and with diligence. There are those who lead ministry teams, mission trips, events. And there are those with the gift of mercy. Again, we're all supposed to show mercy and compassion to one another. But there are those who are supernaturally gifted with this compassion, this care, this mercy. It just pours out of them on people. I was talking with a church member this week who was sharing her thoughts with me on her area of ministry, and it was evident in everything she said about the people she was serving that one of her gifts is mercy. She just overflows with compassion and care for people in an incredible way, in a way that's not learned or taught. It's instilled by God's Holy Spirit. And I'm so glad that that person's using their gift here. I'm glad for every believer faithfully using their spiritual gift to build up the body of believers here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. There are a variety of gifts, but one body. And the one body functions best when all the gifts are being used. You see, the things that you bring to the body, to the church, believer, the things you bring, they're different than what the person next to you brings to the body and the person next to them. God gives all of us different talents, but more importantly, he gives us spiritual gifts to benefit one another. Now, don't become proud or puffed up about your gift, because remember, your gift ain't about you. It's about serving others to bring God glory. Don't get lazy about using your gifts either. It was given to you for a reason, and the reason wasn't for you to sit on it. When you don't use your gift to fulfill your purpose in the body of Christ, not only are you being unfaithful to the Lord who gave you that gift, but you're going to miss the joy of faithfully using your God-given gift. The church will fail to grow spiritually strong. It won't function properly. It's just going to limp along. The body's going to suffer. Now, we need to serve. We need to serve with great joy. Here's the type of mindset that we should have. There was... Uh, a number of years ago, there was this important, somewhat elegant building that was going to be built, and a local artist really wanted to be a part of the project. Really, really wanted. So he tracked down the project managers and begged to be a part of it. He begged to just make one. And he said, look, if I can't make one of the doors, just let me make one of the panels for the door. And he said, and if I can't even do that, just let me hold the tools for the person who is going to do the work. You see, to that artist, the project was so great that even the smallest role he saw as the greatest honor. Do we see serving in the church that way? 
Believer, the work of God's kingdom is taking place in the world and among his people right now, and you are called to partake in that work, and you have been gifted to do that. God wants to unleash your talents and your gifts in his church for the building up of the body of Christ. The question that we need to ask is, what will we do then? Look, maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. That's okay. Look, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I'm going to tell you there are several ways you can identify it, but the most important thing you can do to discover it is start serving. This is just jump on in. Don't wait around for somebody to come and handpick you for a job. Get down to the work of God's kingdom. Jump in to areas of service. In fact, we want to make that easy for you here. So we're going to do something new. This morning in your bulletin, there is an insert. And you might have already taken a look at it. If not, I'll encourage you to do that sometime today. On this insert, there are some areas of, of service here at the church. And starting this week, and then all throughout the month of March, we're going to be launching our new volunteer month here at the church. So this insert just shows you some of the areas of, of greatest need that we have here. But this, this month is going to be all about you finding your purpose, your passion, your role in the body of believers. And for the entire month, I'm going to encourage you, if you're not serving anywhere, try some areas of service out. Right? There's no commitment, by the way. You're not signing up for anything. This is just about trying some different areas of service out. Try some of the things that are listed on there. Try them once or twice. If it doesn't bring you joy, and trust me, using your spiritual gift is going to bring you joy. If it doesn't bring you joy, it doesn't seem like the right fit, well then try another one. And in this way, you, you may find the area that God has in mind for you. You may finally discover the spiritual gifting that he has put in your life. Or maybe you're here and you know what your gifting is from God. You know the spiritual gifts that are in your life. But you're not using it right now. And believer, if that's true for you, it's time to get down to the Lord's business. And I want everybody to understand something. This that I'm talking about right here, it's not limited to... Uh, official members of First Baptist Church of Oxford. You don't have to be on some sort of member role to jump in and start serving. This, this is about every member of the body of Christ, every Christian using their gift. There's a place for you to serve here, believer. There is. See, here's the truth this morning. When you use your spiritual gifts, the church grows spiritually. Understand that. When you use your spiritual gifts, the church grows spiritually. You may not think that that's true, what can I do? When you use your spiritual gifts, the church will grow. We'll become a stronger church, a more united church, a church that functions better. And the questions that we need to ask ourselves then this morning first would be, am I using my spiritual gifts? We need to ask ourselves, can I say that I'm, I'm a functioning part of the church? And if not, what's... What's holding you back, believer? What's keeping you from using God's gifts in your life? And one of the reasons I brought up the story of that waiter is because I think about him pretty often. Simple an interaction as it was, and many things I wish I could have said to him. I think about if I were to see him again, what I, what I would like to say to him. I would love to explain to him that despite all the imperfections of churches, the Bible says that Jesus loves the church, gave himself up for her. 
And if Jesus loves the church, then Christians, we should love the church. And if we love the church, we should want to demonstrate that love. Some of the ways that we demonstrate our love to God is through worship and through obedience. And some of the ways that we demonstrate our love for the church is through serving one another. So I want to encourage every Christian here today, let's let's start doing that. Let's start serving one another. Let's start looking for ways that we can use the spiritual gifts that God has put in our lives. They're there for a reason. If you're not sure where to begin serving, go to the Lord in prayer about that. Take this list home. Find an area to start jumping into. Believer, I promise you, God's going to bless you as you use your spiritual gifts. He's going to bless the church as you use your spiritual gift. I absolutely believe that. And I really pray that you will do that. So as we prepare to, to close, believers, I'm going to encourage you to uh, take these things to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to reveal His gifting in your life, the areas that you should start jumping into. If you're here and you are serving Jesus, you're serving in different areas, using your gifts, I want to thank you for doing that. This is one of the hardest working churches I've ever been in. There are, there are members here who practically live here. Sometimes we have to tell them to go home. But they serve all the time. I appreciate you all so much. I want to pray for you as we prepare to close. Uh, but before we do that, if you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, I understand I talked a whole lot today about what Jesus gives to Christians. Uh, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you what Jesus wants to give to you before we close. Jesus wants to give you the forgiveness of all your sins. He wants to give you eternal life. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. See, the Bible says that we've all done bad things. We can all agree that that is true in our lives. We've all messed up. Okay, We've all done what the Bible calls sin. We've broken God's commands. And the problem is that our sin is separating us from God, and the just punishment for sin is to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. The good news is that God, God loves you. He loves you more than you or I could ever imagine that he loves us. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that all those bad things we've done that we deserve for that. He took that punishment on the cross. He was buried, and three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead. And right now, Jesus stands in heaven, and you want to know what he wants to give you? He wants to give you the forgiveness of your sins. He wants to give you salvation. That means to be saved from the penalty of hell. He wants to give you eternal life which means that when this life ends, you're going to be with him forever. That's what he wants to give to you. The question is, will you give your life to him? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus, please know you can do that before you leave. If you're here and you still have questions about that, if you're here and you don't know for sure that when this life is over, you're going to be in heaven with the Lord, don't, don't leave that way. Don't leave with all those questions. Come and talk to me during this final song. But if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you the chance to do that right now. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I don't want you to wait another moment. You can go to the Lord in prayer. There's no one way you must pray it. Go to the Lord in prayer and admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. You've done bad things. But that you know he died on the cross for you. Do you believe he rose from the dead? 
and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask Jesus for that salvation that he's offering. Ask him to be your savior. Friend, he wants to give all these things to you. And if you go to the Lord in prayer, by faith, I promise you, he'll give you all these things. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus, I pray when we leave here, we would leave in awe of the fact that your gifts don't stop coming. After you saved us, after you forgave us, and you gave us this incredible eternal life, more than we ever deserved, that you gave us spiritual gifts so that we could serve you and serve your people? That's incredible. So, so teach us to be faithful stewards of those gifts. Show us how we can use them to benefit the body of believers, to bring you glory. I pray that you would help all of us to choose to be functioning church members, to fulfill whatever role it is that you have in mind for us. And if we don't know what that role is, then help us to just start serving. And Lord, I pray that as people start doing that, as Christians start serving, you would bless them, you would bring them great joy, you would reveal their gifting in their lives so that they could praise you for these things. Father, I can't thank you enough for the many members who have served you so faithfully over the years here, who pour out compassion and mercy on others, who give with generous hearts, who serve late into the night and early in the morning, for the ones who teach faithfully, the ones who lead diligently, the ones who are good examples to us by sharing the gospel, those who encourage us. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would bring them great joy as they use their gifts. And I pray that at the end of the day, everything that we say and do as a church would bring you glory and honor. Help us not to be about ourselves, about our own glory, but about your glory. Father, I pray that as we move now into a time of worship through song, that you would move in each of our hearts, that we would see how we need to respond to the truth of your word today. Father, we love you. Your spiritual gifting is just another way that you prove you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.